This is JP Scores right here, and y'all are listening to Iron City Rocks because it does. Welcome to episode 412 of the Iron City Rocks podcast, or dare I say 412 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 412, we have joining us, uh, returning to the show after many years, we have Chuck Garrick. Uh, also joining us is Calico Cooper of the band Bisto Blanco. Bisto Blanco will be doing a show at the Hard Rock Cafe on the 20th. Uh, fantastic, fantastic band. So we're going to be excited to play some new music from them. They've got a new album, We Are, coming out on the 24th. Also joining us, J.P. Soares, who's doing a show at the Lamp uh, Theater in Irwin, Pennsylvania. So we're going to get into him, kind of switch it up with some blues music with him. But he's also got a, a certainly a metal edge to his uh, to his history, so we're going to talk with him about all that. And then joining us, uh, how appropriate for episode 412, we have Chip uh, and uh, the charge-ups on the show. Uh, Chip has been on the show several times uh, in past uh, incarnations of uh, Chip Dimonic. Uh, he's now Chip Dominic, uh, which is his actual name, uh, and his uh, daughter, who is uh, playing bass with Chips and the charge-ups, is joining us on the show, so we're going to talk to them in a little bit. But first, we're going to play you a track from Bisto Blanco to give you an idea of what the heck to expect. I know everybody knows Chuck from Alice Cooper Band. He's been a staple on bass for... Uh, uh, many years with the band um, and I have to say I've seen many many great bass players in my life alive uh, Billy Sheehan Stuart Ham, Chuck Garrig's bass solo with Alice Cooper has to be one of my favorites it was just it really really fit the event got the crowd going got them really really amped up so uh, instantly took a liking to, to, to uh, Chuck's playing and uh, when Bisto Blanco came out uh, several years ago with the first album we had Chuck on talking about the band uh, this is now the third album. It's entitled We Are. It comes out on the 24th on Rat Pack Records. Uh, I invite you to check out Rat Pack Records' website. Uh, you can get signed copies of the album. Really, really economical. Uh, you can buy the album on cassette still uh, for those vinyl snobs or like myself. Uh, you can get it on vinyl. So lots of different ways to get the album. Uh, digital, of course, as well. So here's the uh, one of the first singles of the album. It's called The Seeker. We'll get into that interview with Chuck and Calico Cooper. Yeah. 
My pleasure to welcome down to the Rocks. We have on the line Calico Cooper and Chuck Gehrig uh, from Bisto Blanco. How you doing this morning, guys? Man, we are so good. Just uh, pulled up to the hotel in uh, Ottawa, and uh, yeah, just dusting off the uh, dusting off the blood and feathers from last night. I'm going to do it again tonight. Awesome. You, you guys doing some shows with Hailstorm, if I'm not mistaken, right now, correct? Yeah, it's been such a great build. I mean, I, obviously, Hailstorm is incredible. You know, we've been doing shows within this moment, Seven mm. Dust, and, you know, all these great bands, Palais Royale. It's like we finally kind of found our niche. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the kids are loving it. And it makes me feel like such an old lady fan. Our kids are loving it. Like, yeah. They truly are. The, the teenagers that come up after the show just wide-eyed and, and you know, almost... Almost Bob smacked that we're turning in a show. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think that they're used to seeing that. And, you know, when they finish seeing a Bisto Blanco show, I mean, I, God, I wish I had a dollar for every time, you know, a kid going, I, I have no idea who you guys were. And now I, I bought every single record. I mean, they bought every CD from the merch booth. It's just like, you know, what millennial does that? Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. You'd be, you'd go to Spotify and, and listen to the music, maybe, but buy a CD. That it's fantastic to see. And I think one of the things that I, I love, and I know I had a chance to speak to Chuck. I think actually before the debut album came out, was this isn't just you know great sonically. You guys have got, I think, a very broader artistic vision with this band. Um, you've got look, you've got sound, you've got production. Uh, you know, it all is very cohesive, uh, a, a package. Um, how much time do you guys spend? You know, obviously every musician spends time writing songs, recording songs, mastering, etc. But but working on you know the look of the band, the look of the packaging, the merchandising. How much work goes into that for you guys? Hey man, this is Chuck. How are you? Hey Chuck. Uh, man, listen, thank you for your time. So much work goes into that stuff. I mean, it's like we, we, we really think about not just the song and not just the the, um, the tour, but we mm. think about the show and we think about how how everything's going to work regarding um, 
you know, from costuming to the to the sound of of you know the record. And right. I, was, I think we put a lot of thought into it. I mean, it sometimes it's it's string and, and gaff tape and sure, you know, going to the craft shop to put together some stuff together to make a show happen. And you know, on on our budget, I think we've always delivered a stadium sized show. I mean, that's just where my mind exists. We don't we don't think small. We think right. big, and we think, how can we make this work, and and how can we give our fans their money's worth? Because it's important to have people, you know, talking about the show. It's it's important to have people feel like they're part of something unique and, and original. Yeah. We just did the Kiss Expo not too long ago, uh, a couple of days ago, and um, the Kiss fans, you could tell, were just dying about loving this thing because I think they felt like it was something so original it was almost like the first time they had seen kiss or seen alice cooper mm-hmm. or seen rob zombie because it was it's so raw and it's so in your face and it's so real you know we're we're, we're figuring out who we are at the same time they are so yeah. it just makes it for a really cool experience for everybody and yeah. i think coming from the my background you know thinking show first is just the way i way i immediately think you know right yeah so which... i I, uh, I think it's important and and you know there's times we've done you know the best compliment i ever got from anybody was uh lizzie hale had come seen us at um the basement east in nashville several years ago and um one of the things she had said was uh she didn't want to leave where she was standing she didn't want to go to the bathroom she didn't want to go to the bar she didn't want anybody to talk to her because she didn't want to miss out on anything because she felt like she turned away for a second she was going to miss something yeah and that, that is high price coming from a peer and i think you, you mentioned something you know you guys have, have both had years of industry experience before you know the, the formation of this band and i think obviously that gave you a unique unique perspective to see what a, what audiences gravitate and what better you know than kind of touring with the master of doing this for this many years to to see what gets people excited what you know what things you need to pay attention to that maybe other musicians don't i mean you know just the fact that you talk about yeah. costuming and things so many bands you know get up and you know kind of look like they just got out of the tour bus and whatever they were you know was clean or semi clean on the floor um, you know but you guys put on a show in the way Kiss you know it's a great analogy with Kiss you know they put you know they made their show larger than they really were you know spare yeah. no expense for the stake of what you put on the stage um, when, when you guys approach the, the new album um, which is going to be coming out here any day now um, fantastic record but when you when you approach an album do you kind of look at it as sort of a a chapter in in the band sonically or do you you just kind of write and organically the sound kind of changes over time or do you set out with somewhat of a mission statement for each album ah man you know we get asked that a lot and i don't really think there's too much of a plan at first other Hmm. than what what are we coming up with what what Hmm. what musically is is happening right now where's where's the muse taking us you know right And, and and then we, we start to develop it. I mean, obviously, we talked earlier about the show and how important that is. Right. So there are some songs that are, are written as sort of a way to enhance our show. There's a right. tempo, there's a flow to the, to the way the show works. And there needs to be songs added to tie in the concept 
Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we, we write to just continually get better and we and, and, and to grow as, as artists and, and really developing. The fun thing about writing for Bistos is developing the the, uh, the Calico and, and Chuck characters where they, they, you know, I love when we, we bounce off each other and we share verses or right. she'll take a verse, I'll take a verse. Or, there's that dynamic of ear candy and there's so much going on um and it, it makes the story better i think it makes right. it makes it more interesting it, it kind of takes on a different different kind of perspective and and you can look at it from you know either the male female way you know uh regarding the the story of the song so but for the most part man i i just think we kind of just go in with an empty canvas and as it's starting to take life we hmm. we start to you know twist and turn it and, and dissect it and, and turn it into bisto when when you guys write songs are there songs that, that kind of come out of that process that maybe you have to say you know this is a great song but it doesn't fit what we do in this band you know as far as the look and and you know the characters the persona you know you know maybe it's a little too yeah. sentimental or you know that kind of thing all the time yeah that happens all the time as a songwriter i think you i think there's been a bunch of songs i mean there's 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 i can think of a ton right now off the top of my head that have crossed the table that just either a didn't quite fit the concept of the record or we've already have something similar to that mm-hmm. tune on the record so we have to pick or choose right. or it just didn't fit it's just not it's not be so enough i mean the cool thing is 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 as a songwriter and as an artist, it's like you just you you can't pick and choose what what happens, you know. And, right. And you you just I try to record and track everything that that I'm working on because mm. you never know you never know when you may need that part or when something like that might be needed. So you don't exactly. you don't just toss it to the wayside. You just sort of you know put it in, in a separate hard drive. Exactly. Well, uh, Chuck and Calico, I want to thank you guys so much. Uh, you're coming in on the 20th to do a show at the Hard Rock Cafe, and I believe the new album comes out uh, the following Friday. We are, so we'll look forward to that. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for your time, man. Yeah, we're looking forward to it, man. We'll see. Are you going to be at the show? That's the plan. Yeah, I'm hoping to. Well, make sure you just come by and say hello, man. We look forward to it. Thanks for your time. All right. The album We Are is available on the 24th at Rat Pack Records. We invite you to check that out. Get it right from Rat Pack, or uh, better yet, get it at the merch booth at the show on the 20th at the Hard Rock Cafe. Help support the artist. Uh, Rat Pack always does a fantastic job of bundling the album uh, with a lot of goodies, guitar picks, photos, autographs. Um, over the years, I've seen them offer you know, phone calls from the artist. Uh, when you purchase stuff through them. So check out Rat Pack Records. Um, I think you'll be glad you did. It's a little more uh, akin to the kinds of things that uh, Pledge Music used to do You know, when you buy an album, except this time you're, you're guaranteed you're actually going to get it. Um, unfortunately, what happened with Pledge Music, because uh, I think that was a, a lot of bands were finding a, a great stream of revenue from that, but then unfortunately the business just kind of collapsed and left a lot of people high and dry. Um, we're going to turn our attention now to J.P. Soares. J.P. Uh, was at one point, as we talk about in the interview, uh, kind of a, a death metal guitarist and, and made the transition to blues and has been uh, highly coveted. Uh, he's up for a nomination for a, a pretty major blues award, which we'll get into in the interview. Uh, he's got a great album out called Southbound I-95, uh, which I think many of you uh, 
folks from the 412 will recognize as one of the major highways for Florida. Uh, I think a lot of us East Coast uh, folks head that direction every summer for vacation, so it's certainly a highway we all recognize. Uh, JP, a fantastic uh, album. The uh, influences that come into his music, uh, I think, really show through. And it's an interesting story how he, um, I don't want to say crossed over into blues, but certainly evolved his career uh, from from the metal world to the blues world and kind of everywhere in between. So hope you enjoy the interview. We're going to play a track from that. We're going to play Southbound I-95. We'll get into that interview with JP.
pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line J.P. Soares. How are you doing, J.P.? I'm doing wonderful, John. Thank you. Hey, uh, you've got a, a really cool new album out southbound I-95, um, which I think any, anybody who's traveled in, and I'm sure most of Pittsburghers have been in Florida at some point, recognizes that one of those lovely drives down through Florida. Um, you play a kind of a blend of blues uh, and got some kind of soul almost into it from what I hear. Um, can you talk a little bit about your evolution as a musician? I know you actually started out in metal, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to play in uh, some some like extreme metal bands, like death metal bands and mm-hmm. stuff, and I... I um, did, you know, did that did that for years put out CDs toured traveled actually we played Pittsburgh quite a few times with one of the bands <laughs> and uh, this is years you know this is this is bad sure. the last I think the last touring stuff I did with that was in 2005 but, okay uh, so in, in, in but but in uh, in 1988 I actually I met B.B. King I was 18 years old okay I got I uh, won I won two tickets in a raffle to go see B.B. King and uh and um, and I won a guitar in the process as well. There was it was like a music store doing this giveaway with the guitar and two t- tickets to go see BB King and sure. you know meet him backstage and have him sign the guitar and everything. And um, so I, I actually wound up you know winning this raffle thing. So I got to go see BB King and meet him backstage, have him sign this guitar. And that you know like I said that was 1988. So from that that point was like the introduction to you know to, to to real blues stuff and i i remember you know when we left the show i remember my dad you know my dad and i went and i remember when we left the show my dad saying you need to learn to play you know you need to learn to play blues stuff so whole time i was playing metal stuff and learning that stuff i was yeah. also listening to blues and, and trying to you know go to jams and if i found somebody that could play any sort of that style i'd try to latch on to them and, and learn as much as i could sure uh, do you find i mean yeah. You know, I, I personally am a, a fan of both genres of music, and, and obviously both will tend to, you know, a lot of players will gravitate to the pentatonic scale. Was there a lot of, you know, kind of going away and learning it like as a different craft, or was it that big of a jump from, you know, playing? Obviously, extreme metal might be a little different because you're playing maybe more percussive stuff, but um, w- was the the soloing and things like that, the note selection, much different? I mean, yeah, yeah, def- definitely the the notes, you know, the the, the choice of notes, yeah, de- for, for sure. I think it's just a, to me, I just I just look at it at, it, at it almost as a, it's just just a different feel. I mean, it's music, mm. but it's just a different kind of music. It's like sure. uh, it's like comparing, um, you know, a, a, a steak dinner to a to a to a. Uh, you know, to a uh, fish dinner or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, they both taste really good and they both feel good when you're eating them. It's just different. It's just different things. So yeah. for me, I, I didn't. And I was, you know, like I said, I was, I was doing all this simultaneously. Like there was never a, a a point where I was like a focal point where I said, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to switch from playing this kind of music to right. and, and start just playing this kind of music. I was always just trying to learn the instrument. I'm a self-taught musician, so. Um, I was always just trying to learn as much about the instrument as I could, and, and, and if some if I hear something that I dig it, I want to be able to, yeah, I'd like to be able to to play it and mess around. Mm-hmm. But I, I enjoy all kind of different music. 
when you you mentioned winning the guitar in 1988 so i can do it just a little quick math to to guess on an age was some of it that <laughs> you know obviously you know a touring metal musician you know in in a band that isn't big or or wasn't you know gigantic at some point is a tough gig i i know we talk to musicians who tour Absolutely. you know day in day out and it's a tough job you know for metal bands uh, out on the road do you find blues maybe opens a little bit doors as you get older uh, or you know, or helps keep doors open, maybe. Well, that's absolutely, and that, and you, 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 you made a key point right there. <clears throat> One of the things that I realized, and I realized this when I was when I was eighteen, and I saw BB oh. King. You know, I I knew to myself, I'm like that kind of music. I I can see myself playing that music when I'm mm-hmm. when I'm older. I'm I just turned fifty this year. I turned yeah. fifty in January. So, um, and I said to myself, you know, when I, when I that music, I said, I I could be sixty, seventy years old, eighty yeah. years old, playing 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 that stuff. I couldn't see myself being fifty, sixty years old, you know, out touring, playing the metal stuff. But it's funny though because now that I'm fifty, I actually go, you know, what? I I still like that stuff. I could I I could still feel like I would like to do it sometimes. You yeah. Know? But at the time, I realized that like you know this 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 music is you know to me. You know, blues. blues you know, it, it's it's the common man music. It's for everybody. Everybody yeah. can can dig it. You know, I mean, I, you know, I could I could I I could play that for my, you know, for 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 my grandmother. You know, I could play that for my my nephew. Yeah, you know, and they still dig it. Whereas the metal stuff, I always just kind of like, well, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't want. You know, I'm not going to invite my grandparents to come to to sure. try to play this stuff. You know, they've since passed away and stuff. My grandparents, but uh, you know, I, the other, you know, the, the, the stuff I do now, I, you know, I would love to them of them to get to see me play that. Yeah. Now, do you write? Um, do you tend to write your material yourself? I know you collaborated with a lot of musicians on your latest album, um, but when you're you know putting the songs together, do you? Um you know, kind of work alone, or do you work? I know you have a three-piece band. Do you work with those guys and kind of hash out songs, or how is that uh, approach? I pretty much, I pretty much come up with the stuff myself. You know, I write the lyrics uh, myself, and I, I, you know, I come up with a riff or something, and uh, and I always save them. I always record them on my iPhone if I come up with an idea. I always. You know, I recorded on my voice memo on my iPhone, and I saved. So I've got all these uh, rough ideas and stuff, and a lot of times that's where the, the songs come. Some of the, you know, a lot of the songs come from that. But um, you know, sometimes we'll, you know, I'll, I'll I'll try something, you know, and uh, and you know, it goes, oh, maybe maybe go back to this part, or you know, maybe repeat that again, or you know, it sounds like it needs something like this. So the other guys do have some input, but but I you know, for the most part, I I pretty much write the stuff myself. Yeah, I love to hear you say that you're writing blues on an, on an iPhone. I was just thinking to myself, just how interesting it would be if Sun House had had an iPhone, or you know, somebody right. like that that could go back. You know, we listen to the Robert Johnson recordings, like they're the Holy Grail, and the, the equipment wasn't probably a fraction right. of what you you can record your demos yeah. or noodle around with. Oh uh, yeah, sure. Um, one of the it's a great tool to capture something you yeah know, to capture the spontaneous moment and I've, I've learned the hard way like you know like sometimes i'm like you know pick up the guitar and come up with some little lick or something or a mm-hmm. riff or whatever and 
And you're like, okay, and I'll bet, you know, this is this is too good not to remember. I'll remember this, you know, tomorrow. You know, or, yeah. Of course, you never remember it or never play it exactly like the same way you did the first time. So I always, now I know from experience, like, okay, I come up with something, just grab that, like, grab that iPhone, hit the voice memo, and just, just capture the idea. So you got yeah. the idea, and, you know, if you want to go back and listen to, oh, that's how I was playing it. That's what I was feeling. Do you find uh, one of the things when you listen to it, and I, I think about the, the the transition, you know, or the duality of, of metal, that lyrical ideas are, are easier to come up with with blues because of you know a lot of the lyrics in blues songs are life lessons and stories about life, where you know a lot of lyrics from metal songs tend to gravitate towards youth. Mm-hmm. Do you find that? Um easier to write lyrics at this point for this this type of music as opposed to the metal not necessarily nah nah it's funny because a lot of times sometimes with the metal stuff and this is probably gonna laugh when i tell you this but some of the times we would literally like you know like we had we had a song we need some lyrics for this song all right and and i swear this it's funny but it's truth i go grab the freaking national Enquirer. <laughs> And I'd look at some of the silly stuff in there, yeah. And I would literally pull stuff <laughs> from the National yeah. Choir sometimes. I mean, it's, it's you know. And then people are like, "Oh my God, I can't believe you know." Look, look at these these lyrics and stuff. I go, "Yeah, it's, it's, you know, you, you you think it's all this negative stuff, and maybe it is, but it's 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 coming from the National Choir yeah. when you rock walk by when you're checking out your groceries." <laughs> yeah, well, either which may or may not be fictional. That's always been a great source of discussion for well, this magazine. Well, exactly. Yeah. Crap, but um, yeah. can I ask? I, I actually have to ask your cigar box guitar because I've been a fledgling cigar box guitar player for a while. You only use two strings, which w- struck mm-hmm. me as kind of unusual because I've seen three and four strings quite a bit. What two strings are you doing, and what are you tuned to? Uh, there, the strings I use are, are a low E and a G string. Okay. And I try to get the heaviest gauge I can, you know, like I can, I can find. I got a 52 gauge mm-hmm. for the low E, and then I use an 18 for the for the G. Okay. And uh, I I tune them to octaves, uh, either like a G and a G, or an F and an F, or E and an E. Okay. Yep. If so, you get any lower than that, it starts to get kind of a bit sloppy and, and hard to yeah keep the tuning you know right I watched the I one know. video of you playing and it, it, it amazed me because you did kind of a, a brilliant and maybe you got this from somewhere else but the idea of using the sharpie almost like a capo um, was just to me was so awesome because it's one of the things I found with mine which is tuned to G uh, you know it's an open G tuning three string and it you run out of interesting ideas to play in G all the time sure uh, you know, and I saw you pull that sharpie yeah. out, and then you stuck it back in in the middle of the song, yeah. and I was like, did, "Is that yeah. something you caught well, somebody I, else do, or, or was that um, something yeah, you just thought?" Yeah, I did, I did. I, I wish I would. I wish I could say that I came up with that, but no, I didn't. I saw uh, there's a there's a, a, a fellow musician down here. You might have heard of him, Ben Ben Prestige. Okay. He does a one man band, and he's out of uh, Jensen, Florida, I believe. Down okay. Here. Yeah. We're just, you know, I know him several friends, but I, I saw him play years ago, and I saw him do that with the sharpie. You know, he, he slipped it in there and stuff. And I don't think he like pulled that out. You know, slipped it in during the same song, but it was like I was like, wow, check that out. That's a great, 
you know it's a great idea and it works just it works perfect <laughs> yeah with the sharpie into there and it it capos it up yeah that was a really yeah. cool idea now the pickup i've never you, seen anybody else doing it though no i then do it you know and then that, I, that was it we had a, an opportunity about a year and a half ago i had um and i don't know if you would know him shane spiel who is a, a does a ton of stuff on youtube I, with cigar box I've heard that name. I've definitely heard that name. Yeah, up in in western Pennsylvania, it's kind of on the, not tremendously far from where you're going to be playing, is the Cigar cigar Box Museum. It's in uh, Delmont, Pennsylvania. And the whole thing, it was actually his parents' uh, bar, but they converted it into, well, part of it's a museum, um, and they have live Mm -hmm. blues there. Um, but there are m- many, many cigar boxes on the wall and all kinds of kind of historic pieces. And I thought I'd seen every trick with that instrument. Uh, you know, I've seen Samantha Fish play and, and some other people, but I'd never seen anybody do that little capo trick. I'm like, I, I need to go try that. That's just awesome. Hey, um, it's it's really neat. Yeah, it's fun. What do you? I, I, it looks like you're using almost like a Gibson pickup in those, which is you know got six magnets. Yeah. Is that just a regular guitar pickup you put in that? Yeah, the one that I the one that I have in my uh, in, the, in the one that I've that I've been playing for years is actually it's a uh, it's a Demarzio Super Distortion pickup, and I mean I didn't like go out and, and, and buy that pickup and say hey I want to put this specific mm-hmm. pickup in. It's just when I when we built that thing, my yeah. brother and I built it. That was one of the pickups I had laying around. Actually, <laughs> one of my buddies that I a drummer that I, that I used to that I used to play with uh, he. You know, that's one of the death metal drummers. He played in right. that, you know, the metal band with me. So we'd still get together and jam every now and again. And he gave me that pickup, you know, about, I don't know, about 10 years ago, right around the time I built that cigar box guitar. So that one just happened to be, I was like, oh, well, here, here's a pickup. Let's throw this one in there. And that's the one I've wound up using. And I actually did wind up replacing it with a new one because it, it, it got so much sweat in there that the thing just it stopped working you know, one time. so I replaced it with the same one because I just my ears got used to the sound of that one you know so that's what I that's what I put in mind now just roughly magnetically what what well I guess those would be poles in the in the pickup what are you lining them up with are you lining them up with the E and the G from the guitar yep. pickup okay yep well no actually no 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 I, I don't I just I line them up with the center, okay. With the center of the uh, you know the pickup, yeah. I put the, the the center in there. That's that's interesting. But I've I... often thought about you know I've often thought about trying you know because because with the Demarzio uh, pickup the one I have it's got the it's got two sets of um, you know coils there, and and I've often thought you know because I got the two strings so I just turn that pickup sideways and then you'd have you'd have all all those poles you know all 12 of those poles yeah you know, on the on the strings <laughs> that would be interesting but, uh, i don't know how that would sound but i could definitely try it out sometime just to see yeah you'd be like the eddie van halen of of cigar box guitars and just keep hacking away at yeah. it until you get it perfect that was really hey, neat to- he's one of my favorites man yeah and that, that was another thing like when you him. when you're playing like the blues are there particular players that you emulate and do you find some of those you know maybe like an eddie van halen or or whomever you you know enjoyed listening to as a metal player do you find some of those things spilling into your playing or do you have the ability to kind of isolate well i used to try to isolate it i you know when i first started getting into it because i would back you know i would back guys up and stuff you know Mm -hmm. um um you know I, i wasn't 
when I first started this trap, I wasn't really singing. I just, you know, you know kind of wound up, you know, backing up a harmonica player or something like that. And I would deliberately not let, try not to let any of that feel or that vibe creep into the playing and try to keep it as, as traditional as possible because I wanted to, you know, I wanted, I wanted to, first and foremost, you know, do it, do it right the way it's right. supposed to be done to try to do it right. But also to, you know, to, 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 to get the approval from those guys, you know, I just, I just like, I don't, you know, I don't want these guys to be thinking, oh, this is some metal dude trying to play blues or something. So right. I would deliberately like just abandon that whole side of, you know, right. uh, of, of, of what I, you know, of what I'm capable doing and, and stuff. And, but eventually I started letting some of that stuff, the feel of it or the energy of that slip into it. And I would notice people would respond and I get a, you know, and then I, that's when I came to the conclusion to myself, like, okay, if if I'm genuinely feeling it in my heart not when I'm playing it, it's, and I'm feeling it, whether it's got that energy of the metal stuff or the blues or whatever it might be, then someone else in the, in the audience is going to feel that too. If I'm truly genuinely feeling mm-hmm. it in my heart when I'm playing it, they're going to feel it too. And... You know, when it came to that epiphany, I would have said, "I'm just going to play what I feel." Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and that's I what think I that now more than anything. And that's where I think when it gets genuine, the more you I do know. it, the better it seems. Yeah, and exactly. It, yeah. Just genuine. And, and you, you mentioned like emulating, you know, somebody. Else. I mean, I, I've tried to do that stuff before, and I, I just, it never feels right to me. I, mean, mm-hmm. I can try it all night long, and I just, I just don't. I don't have a knack for emulating other players. Some people, right. I mean, I've got friends that play, and they like. I mean, there's it's it playing. It's like it sounds, you know, it sounds like BB King. I'm playing exactly, you know, he's playing the exact note for note solo of, of so and so on this record. But I, I don't really do that because, for one, I know that those guys that you're trying to emulate, well, a lot of times they're not really, they're not emulating some somebody. Maybe they were in the beginning, but then. Yeah. You know, BB King sounds like BB King. Albert King sounds like Albert King. Albert Collins, you know immediately when two notes, the first note, one note, that it's Albert Collins or BB King. Yeah, because yeah, they got a, their own sound, their own style. That's that's a great point. Um, you are up uh, nominated for uh, the 40th Blues Music Awards from the the Blues dot uh, org. Uh, for best uh, blues rock artist, um, I-, I wanted to ask the company you're in in those nominations. Uh, how how mind blowing is that when you look down the list and it's, you know obviously the top of the list with Billy yeah. Gibbons. Um, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, it is you know yeah. I can imagine someone growing up at, at your age, ZZ Top was you know so huge. Oh yeah, um, you know to it look was, to absolutely. And I mean I uh I it's funny because I you know I've got. I still got the you know the first like three ZZ Top albums, mm-hmm. the, the actual the vinyls that I got from uh, my uncle when I was a kid, you know, and I still have those and I still listen to records and, it, and, and it's crazy because right before that whole I found out about that nomination, I've been listening to the Trace Hombres album it was on my record player for like I don't know like like a week and a half, two weeks. I was just listening to it, you know, revisiting it. I couldn't get enough of it. And uh, and it was right around that time that I found out about the nomination. You know, it was during that same period when I was listening to that record over and over. And I go, yeah. isn't that just crazy? You know? Yeah, that's got to be when quite I was an honor. 16, yeah, when I was when I was sixteen, like I was, you know, I was I I discovered Metallica, you know, mm-hmm. Master Puppets album. 
So I was like playing along to that, but I was also at the same you know same time playing along to the first three ZZ Top albums. Yeah. You know, like learn, trying to learn that stuff as well. So it, it's, it's really neat. Yeah. It's yeah. Really awesome. I looked at that uh, a little earlier, and you know, you've got Kenny Wayne Shepherd, who has you know obviously done uh, quite a bit, you know, in the last twenty years to keep, you know, the blues rock genre, you know, at some points out of almost say alive, you know, in the nineties, you know, it was there were some slim pickings really, you know, in the in the in the blues after you know when sure. you think about uh, when Stevie Ray Vaughan passed away, Eric Gales and you know obviously some great companies. And so that's we, another one that I've that I'm blown away. You know, I mean, yeah. Eric Gale, like, my God, you know, yeah, that, yeah. he's awesome too. Yeah, well, well, congratulations on the nomination. I mean, that that in itself is a massive achievement. Uh, you know, to be in the same sentence with these guys is, is got to yeah. be a wonderful. And Tinsley Ellis, I mean, Tinsley yeah. Ellis, is, uh, he's awesome. He's great. Been around for years, and just yeah, it, it's quite hum- it's quite humbling, and it's quite an honor. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, JP, I don't want to keep you any longer. You'll be coming in on the thirtieth to do a show at the Lamp Theater in Irwin, a, a fantastic venue, and going to be a really nice place to see you. you get out of the real small clubs and into a you know a nice theater. It's going to be great to see you there, and hopefully yeah. we'll be having you back for many many years, man. I hope so. I hope so. If anybody wants to check us out or find out you know more about the band, they can check out our website jpsores.com. All right, again, JP Soares is at the Lamp Theater in Irwin. On the 30th of May, you can get tickets at the Lamp Theater's website and uh, also check out JP's website, uh, information on getting the album. Again, you want to get the album, wait two weeks and get it at the show. You know, certainly more more money goes into the artist's pocket when you buy them directly at the shows. It's always a great way to do it. You know, you might be able to pick up a signed copy or something like that and help help these guys put a little more money in the in the vans to get from show to show. Um, you know, it's certainly a a, a different time in music now where artists have to look for different ways to you know make income so always supporting the merch booth when you can when you're at a show is, is a great way to do it you know you might pay a two dollars more than you did if you bought it from a you know major online retailer or amazon but you're getting something tangible like i said more money is able to go directly to the artist as opposed to all the different people that kind of skim money off of an album so i encourage you wholeheartedly to do that all right, we're going to turn our attention now to uh, Chip and the Charge-Ups. Chip uh, Demonic, as uh, he was known then, had been on the show uh, several times. He was uh, th- he and his band were kind of um, annual uh, kind of nominees for our, our best punk rock band, which kind of kind of spawned a joke uh, and, and a song actually that they weren't punk. Um, you know, because of the argument that people have on what punk is. And uh, just a sidebar, if you have a chance to check out the uh, Iggy Pop series on punk, I believe it was just called Punk, highly, highly encourage it. I personally uh, am not that knowledgeable in the world of punk. It was, you know, always kind of on the fringe of the music I listened to. I love the Ramones uh, and some of the more mainstream punk bands, but it really wasn't that knowledgeable about some of it. Uh, and I thought the series was fantastic. So if you are into punk, Certainly worth the uh, worth the watch, but turning attention back to Chip and the Charge-Ups. Chip, um, as he talks about in the interview, now Chip, Do- I can't even say it. Chip Dominic uh, had taken some time away from music to do with some family things. Uh, decided to get back into music, back into writing. Incorporated his daughter uh, in, in the band, who's a fantastic bass player, and, and I think it added a nice dimension vocally, as we talk about in there. You know, the band has some great harmonies. So let's play a little bit of Chip 
and the charge-ups. We'll get into that. some ways for the first time we have chip and melina dominic on the line of chip and the charge ups how, how you doing guys doing today good how are you very very well chip I, I know you and i have spoke many years uh you know into your uh kind of alter ego of chip demonic uh one of our uh, kind of annual winners in best punk um which always just caused some controversy and yet uh, interesting debate <laughs> online uh but this is the first time Melina, we have you on the, the line, and you guys have, have formed a, a new band of sorts. I don't say new because you've been doing this a little while, but it is kind of a whole new rebirth for you um, musically. Can you kind of talk about, you know, how this band kind of rose from the ashes of what was Chip Demonic, uh, you know, and that, you know, slightly different sounding band, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, by, back in 2015, uh, Chip Demonic released its fifth and what I consider its best album, which was Uncaged. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, uh, stuff really started to happen for us that year. Um, you know, we were playing some big shows, uh, both opening for national acts as well as uh, doing some some of our own shows, which were which were really, really well attended. And we had a lot of buzz going, some international press and so forth. Um, unfortunately, late that year, uh, both of my parents got I- extremely uh, sick, and mm-hmm. they were no longer able to live independently. Mm-hmm. They uh, they came to live with me under my twenty four seven care. So for two years, um, you know, the last two years of their lives, I, I took care of them and uh, everything, and put pretty much all of uh, almost all of my life uh, on the back burner, mm-hmm. particularly music. Um, the only thing musically I did during that time um, was pretty much write with an acoustic guitar, and then when I got some some respite, um, you know, record a song one by one right. uh, throughout that 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 two year period. So um, you know, then life changed changed, and uh, time freed up for me, um, and then it was time to to put together a new band and do something with uh, with all of the songs that I had written. And that's how Chip and the Charge Ups was born. Now, was the you, you probably had to make a decision at that point? Do I just call up the guys, you know, get the band back together, you know, kind of half joking but half serious, and just kind of pick up where we left off? You know, you had a name that people knew, you had a look, you had a sound, um, you know, and and you've really kind of mm-hmm. almost reinvented what you do with this, you know, this music. Uh, mm-hmm. Why? Why not just go back to what you were doing? Man, I wish there was a, a logical explanation to that mm-hmm. because you know I'm really proud of what uh, uh, of what Chip Demonic accomplished and kind of mm-hmm. like the path we were on. Uh, but I really wanted to do something um, with with the songs I had written and recorded, mm-hmm. and also just wanted to you know see if going down a different path. Um, would, would would take me f- further. So it was just kind of like, a, hey, I'm in the mood to do this. Let's try it. And uh, you know, before you know it, the wheels started spinning, and and tr- we started getting some traction. And uh, really haven't looked back. Now, Melina, can you talk a little bit about you know you're you're still relatively young, very young compared to Chip and I. Um, what got you into music? Was it cool to listen to Dad's music, or was it? You're learning the bass despite what he was doing, and you know, give me the you know, animals as leader or whatever it was you were listening to on your own, and you just uh, kind of merged yeah. up. It was. I always thought that my dad was really cool, like for being in a band. And mm-hmm. before I I was playing with him, like we had like a the demonic duo, and we would just do like acoustic shows at music festivals and stuff. And I mm. went to a couple of his concerts with Chippy Monic, so it was. It was never like I thought he was like you know a, a lame dad or anything. Like, mm-hmm. He's always been like super cool, like way cooler than all of my friends' dads, of course. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's a, an amazing thing to hear. You know, it, you know, coming from uh, you know a parent as well. It, you know, it's not easy to make your kids think what you do is cool. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and that's it was kind of one of my big questions for you was you know some kids will just do whatever they can to get away from what their parents are doing. You know, like it wouldn't surprise me if you said you were playing in like a death metal country band to, to do something totally different <laughs> than what dad did. <laughs> you know, but that's that's really cool. 
Yeah, I, I always wanted to play music with my dad. And, like, even when he was forming this band, it wasn't, like, originally intended for me to be in this band. But mm. I, like, I'd see him looking for bassists, and I'd be like, hey, you know, I play bass. Mm. And um, eventually it worked. <laughs> uh, Chip, uh, you know, on the, on the father end of that, did you have hesitation? I mean, you've played a lot of gigs in a lot of places and I'm sure some of them are not places you'd care to remember or um, you know audiences can be a little uh, you know sketchy sometimes did you have hesitation as a dad saying you know I'm going to bring you know my my little girl up on stage because she's going to be your little girl no matter how old she is mm-hmm. was that a oh, concern? absolutely <laughs> absolutely you know I, I sometimes you'd read stories um like in interviews with people like Maria Brink and Mm -hmm. you know when they before they became stars they they talked about um some male to female heckling that would happen and I'm just like you know I worry about going into papa bear mode and you know jumping off stage and then end up getting my butt kicked but um you know, I, I worry about that. You know, I've, I've seen videos online of, um, uh, you know, of people saying rude things to, to female performers. I've, I've witnessed some things myself. Um, but mm. fortunately, so far, um, we, we, you know, we haven't had a, a problem uh, with that. But, you know, absolutely uh, was a big concern. Like, yeah. you know, uh, you know, what do I want to bring my kid into? And, um, and it also comes with being selective with gigs. You know, yeah. playing um, an outdoor music festival that's family friendly is a lot different, you know, than playing a dive bar at right. 1 a.m. on a Saturday night. So Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to say for the record, that was not a gender based question because I asked the exact same thing of Lucas Nelson, Devin Allman, and um, uh, Dickie Betts' son as well. You know, that's one of those things, you know, mm-hmm. when you look at you guys who've done it and, and done it for a while, you know what you're getting into, but you also know what your child is going to get into. You know, and it's, you know, and it's, it, and I was very curious what Lucas Nelson's answer would be. You know, did, did Dad want you to do this? Um, you know, and granted, he's made a, an awful great living at it, but it's not an easy life. It's a completely different industry than it was, uh, you know, at different points in time. Um, you know, so it's something you you you're getting into it. You know, being this you've doing done this a while with your eyes wide open as to what you're going to get into. Um, can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit? You know, you guys have got. You know, kind of a two-part album, Flow, Flow of the Current, which I have to say the production on it is insanely good, um, which leads me to the, how this was financed. I mean, because this probably wasn't a cheap thing to do. This well, It doesn't sound like, you know, we got the SE version of Pro Tools and did this at home kind of thing. This sounds, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, very high-end, very well-produced. Um, you know, so I, and I know the amount of work that goes into the artwork and the you know, getting the press word out. It's not a cheap thing. Um, was mm-hmm. this, you know, kind of one of these things you can pull past mom because it's, you know, dad's doing with his daughter or, um, you know, is this something that <laughs> you guys can make enough gigging to pay for some of this stuff? Well, you know, obviously um, it, it does, it does take dipping in deep into the pockets mm-hmm. um, for, you know, for, to get that type of production and thank you for the kind words about it. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things is, that's, that's cool is that um, I don't have kind of like expensive vices. You right. know, I don't smoke. I don't drink. Um, you know, I, I don't need the, you know, the biggest, uh, fanciest sports car. 
right. things like that. So it's it's kind of like you know you you choose where where you want to uh, to prioritize you know yeah. how you spend your your extra cash. And for me, I just have such a passion for writing mm. and recording music that it's it's kind of like you know that's where. I, I want the cash to go. You know, you could smoke yeah. cigarettes for for three years or so and spend I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of dollars and really have nothing to show for it. Right. So instead of that, you know, I, I put put you know put my extra extra money and my my spare change uh, into into recording and sure. um, you know I, I I'm I, it's very rewarding to know that you know when you do when you have to make sacrifices to record something you have something to be proud of and yeah. i think that's pretty much where where i'm at with it yeah and as far as vices go it's a pretty healthy one you know you're not going to not going to get overweight <laughs> or get you know, cancer or anything like that from from spending the money on, on a good engineer or a mixing or, or anything like that but uh it's right, really, right um as far as the songs um you know you mentioned writing when your parents were were ill um, what's kind of the lifespan on these songs as far as the oldest to the newest? I mean, or do these go back, you know, before, you know, when you were in other bands and some of these that you kind of just finished writing or were these mostly written for this project specifically? Um, yeah, all of the songs on Flow of the Current Part 1 and Part 2 uh, are from that time period, um, from 2016 uh, into into 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, we we've already started writing and recording for our third album. Okay. And one of one of the songs that we've recorded for that actually um, was a song written uh, for Chip Demonic, but um, we kind of like played it and took it out of our set list. Like for some reason, that song j- would just not gel with us. It's a very fast paced song. Uh, very energetic song, a lot of background vocals, you know, fast picking on the, on the bass and, and the guitar. And for some reason, we just didn't, you know, that the, the Chip Demonic lineup, it just wasn't part of our chemistry. Like, we could not put together hmm. that song and, and perform it respectfully. So we put it to the side, but I always, like, felt it was such a strong song and wish we, we could have pulled it off. And now, you know, with different players... It's like um, you know, it just really came together and felt very natural and very you know very punk oriented. And you know, Molina is not only a, a great bassist but also a great singer too, and that mm-hmm. requires a lot of background vocals. And it just flowed so well with uh, with the Chip and the Charge Ups lineup. Yeah, and that's one of the things in your music I notice is is the use of harmony. Um, how how helpful? And, and this kind of question could be, I think, for either one of you. Is having a female voice in there to harmonize, you know, because you've you've instantly got something that's obviously going to be higher than yours. Um, does that make it a little bit easier than having four guys who might all be, you know, baritone or you know, bass type voices? Yeah, I, well, I, I, you know, I'd like to answer that question in in one one word, and that, and then let Melina get give her. Um, uh, opinion on it, but the you know my one word answer to that is uh, yes. It's just a, a, an emphatic yes. Yeah. But is it um is it one of these things like when when you when you sing in there it, you you 
probably been doing that since you were a little kid, you know, kind of singing along when Dad's got a song on the radio or something. Does it feel pretty natural, and, and do, do you do you find his voice and yours harmonize well and easy to do for you? Yes, absolutely. Like, I there's sometimes when we're on stage, there's just moments where it's just kind of like you have to just, like, sit there and just let it, let it cool down because we just... There's just something when our voices sing together, just clicks. And mm-hmm. um, you were saying before about having the female voices and the male voices, and um, I for sure agree with that because we have we have like whole new aspects. We um, there's like I don't know how to explain it, but like uh, like all layered, and that's mm-hmm. just like really cool because we can have like the lowest note and the highest note, and it just sounds really cool together. Yeah, and that's that's something you know. Sometimes when you get all male voices, and especially males that aren't seventeen or eighteen, and their voices, you know, matured, you tend to get a very you know kind of uh, baritone vocals. And you know, I was just reading an article today about White Snake and, and vocals, and you know, are they using tape vocals or and things like that? Because of, you know, you want it to sound as close to what you did on the record. You spent a lot of time making it sound so good on the record. But that's not always an easy thing to do for a bunch of guys. Um, so it's a wonderful, a wonderful thing to have in there. Um, as far as players, I mean, Melinda, when you're playing, you know, obviously you hear about, you know, the Van Halen brothers or certain musicians that have played together for so long, they have kind of a sixth sense. Do you feel, do you guys need to speak really as musicians? You know, when you're winding down a song, you know, you heard each other play literally for her entire life. I mean, is there some really, really unspoken stuff at that point? Yeah, I think our, you know, being being family, we have we have kind of a, a chemistry that I've never seen duplicated with uh, right. with other artists that I've played with, or you know, other players that I've played with. Yeah, I, I think about the, you know, the only you know couple I can think of was uh, Dwayne Betts, uh, maybe when he played with. Uh, Dickie Betts and Great Southern, you know, where you've got a father and a son, but you know, sometimes that could be, you know, intimidating when you've got somebody who's, you know, to that level. Uh, but it's a fantastic thing. Um, I know you guys have a show coming up with Nita Strauss on the, I believe it's the 22nd at the Hard Rock. Do you have any other gigs coming up to speak of at the moment? Yeah, we have um, uh, some stuff around the uh, the Pittsburgh area in July. Uh, we have the Rock for Life Gigaroo Festival on okay. July 6th. That's in uh, Iceland, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, on the 16th of that month, we're doing an acoustic show um, at a place called The Landing uh, by the Pittsburgh International Airport. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing a, um, a benefit called Suicide Rebellion at Spirit in Lawrenceville in, on uh, the 19th. And we are doing uh, a big show with the Borstal Boys. I think it's going to be like an all-day uh, type of event at Peter B's on okay. uh, the last Saturday of July. Okay, up in Sarver. Excellent. Now, Melina, one of the things I was curious about, you know, high school is certainly a... a time where you you really in tune with what your friends are thinking and saying do you you get much feedback from your friends you know when you're on dve or or you know the x and things like that do do um do kids even realize that's you in school and uh what's that kind of experience like um 
a lot of people don't really like realize that stuff. Like, honestly, nobody that I know still listens to the radio. <laughs> but when I like tell them, I'm like, oh, my band was on the radio. I do get like a really good response. Like a lot of people think that's cool, and I've I've had people like that I didn't even really know at school like come up to me and be like, whoa, I didn't know you were in a band. I just <laughs> I just heard you guys. That's so cool. That's excellent, and I hope the iHeart Radio people are listening. No one's listening to you anymore. You heard it. We're coming for your demographic. <laughs> Slowly but surely, that's excellent. All right, guys. Well, I want to thank you so much again. The uh, the or you consider them EPs, or are they sold as one one practice? I know there's part one and a part two. Um, do you sell them as one physical CD, or are they two physical CDs for those who still yeah, buy they're CDs? Two <laughs> yeah, they're two physical CDs. Usually, you know, like at our shows, we sell them for six bu- bucks each, or both for ten. So we, you know, we do try to to package them together, but they are absolutely, you know, discrete products. Yeah, and and both absolutely fantastic. I, you know, I I will admit I listened Thank to you. them both this morning as if it was one album, and and it flows very nicely. Um, you know, it it. Uh, you know, there wasn't. I was kind of curious. You know, I, I actually listened to the second one first, and then went back and listened to the first one. And so I wonder if there's a little drop off in the quality of the songs or the quality of production. No, there's not. It, it's just, you know, it's a it's a great product through and through, um, start to finish. You guys should be immensely proud. I wish you both the best. And uh, you know, again, folks can catch you on the 22nd with Nita Strauss and the other gigs you mentioned. And we wish you all the best. Thank you so much, John. Always an honor to be on the show. All right. Melina Dominic and Chip Dominic of Chip and the Charge-Ups. Um, still can't get out of my head to say demonic. Um, you know, if you go back in, in the uh, the RSS feed or on our website, you can find the episodes with the Chip Demonic. Uh, you know, to hear a, a sense of how the band has evolved the sound. Uh, really two different bands, obviously. But as a writer, he's got quite a, a versatile uh, palette to work with. Uh, follow the current... Parts 1 and 2 are available now. Fantastic songs full of very pop hooks, extremely well produced, great musicianship on it. Um, we run the gamut at Iron City Rocks between getting albums from the biggest record labels left in the world to the smallest people working you know, in their garage on bands. Um, this one for an unsigned band, really top to bottom songwriting, Recording musicianship, uh, really a standout. So I invite you to check those out. Uh, they will be doing a show, as I mentioned, with Nita Strauss. Uh, you can pick up the physical copies of the CDs on the 22nd. So you've got Alice Cooper's guitarist, Nita Strauss, at the Hard Rock Cafe on the 22nd. You've got her bass player, or his bass player, I should say, uh, on the 20th at uh, the Hard Rock Cafe with Bisto Blanco. Um, also, Calico Cooper, um, who was actually Alice's daughter, um, and uh, plays the role of some of the, the, the stage. Uh, for example, Cold Ethel, um, she plays the role of that on stage. She does uh, designing and choreography and stuff for the show. So um, really very Alice Cooper-centric episode um, for, for Iron City Rocks. But as, a, as I mentioned, this type of show for episode 412, I'd be remiss not to have uh, really one of the hardest-working bands in Pittsburgh with Chip and the Charts up on this show. So I hope you enjoyed that. So until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening. You can visit us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Uh, drop us a line. We're on www.ironcityrocks.com is our website. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter are all forward slash ironcityrocks. And I thank you for listening. And until next time, take care. Bye.